either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, Halloween's over, so at least for this week, we're done with this scary stuff, and it's on to biopics. It is. Biopics this week. <laughs> we'll check into those and see what else is uh, out this week. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we'll start on the big screen with a different side of a familiar story. It's Priscilla. Just what is the intent here, Mr. Presley? You got women throwing themselves at you. Why my daughter? You don't have to worry about her. Black hair and more eye makeup. I don't know if I like it. What do you mean you don't know if you like it? He's not like you imagined. I know there's a lot of rumors about you. Was there something you're hiding? I don't have a goddamn thing to hide. I need a woman who understands that things like this might happen. Are you going to be here or not? I want a life of my own. This is the latest from writer and director Sofia Coppola. And I think we... We agreed as soon as we saw it that, boy, even if we, going into it, didn't know who directed it, we probably would have gotten it in maybe two guesses. Yes. It really looks like a Sofia Coppola movie, uh, especially The Beguiled or even all the way back to... Uh, Virgin Lo- Suicide. Yeah, and Lost, Lost in, in Translation. translation. Um, especially, as you mentioned, the opening the opening scene, the opening images just shows a, ba- a pair of bare feet walking on a shag rug. Mm-hmm. And that was very, even if you've never been to Graceland, to see the shag carpeting, and it's something. <laughs> uh, you can kind of get the idea. Here we go with a, a naive, you know, a babe in the woods yeah. into this wonderland and, and tread lightly. Um, it's a really interesting take, especially I think it's it's good that we come at the, the whole, quote, Elvis mm-hmm. scene with totally different perspectives because I grew up with Elvis pretty much everywhere. Your and mom, you did not. Your mom, in fact, for a time worked for an Elvis impersonator. She did, she did, and uh, she's a major Elvis fan. And we, she, she really got to be more so later on. But still, when I was young, Elvis was still he was still on the radio and he was everywhere. He, I just he was a, a pop icon then. And so it's interesting. You said something to me about this movie that that I just kind of took for granted because of my experience that everybody already knows how young Priscilla was when they met. And then you said, maybe that's not so. No, because I didn't know. I'm, I'm sure you told me that. I'm sure I didn't know that and that, that she was 14 years old yeah. when they start, started dating. Yeah. I'm, I'm confident I did not know that until I was an adult. <laughs> yeah, see, I thought that was just a pretty mo- a, well, a well-known fact. And that's just one of the things, of course, that makes this story fascinating and and problematic and it's based on a book that Priscilla wrote in 1985 Elvis and me and I believe it was it was made not too long after that into a TV movie but this is a totally different treatment for someone as talented of a filmmaker as Sofia Coppola and and to come at the Elvis phenomenon from Priscilla's point of view this is her story not Elvis's and you definitely see Elvis portrayed in a different way, especially when we think back to just last year and Boz Lerman's Elvis. Yes, which, as you know, I did not love. I'm the one. And what? And as much as I think Austin Butler was quite good in it, I'm not trying to uh, disrespect his performance. 
what I disliked the most about that movie is that it wasn't a character. I mean, it was. It was a character. It wasn't a human. Elvis Presley was not a human being. He was just this sweet dope who the world took advantage of, you know. And in this movie, we get to see him as an actual human being. Yeah, I, A man who was contending with a lot of stuff, but at the same time was a manipulative, gaslighting narcissist. Yeah, I mean, I agree with those those uh, sentiments about Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. I did like it more than you did, but I thought it was the character of Elvis was a problem because it, he wasn't really, he didn't have agency. He wasn't his, his own character responsible for his own life. Right. But I do understand, much like this movie does, you, you come at Elvis from a different point of view. They used Colonel Tom Parker, right. the Tom Hanks mm-hmm. portrayed, as a way in, mm-hmm. a, a different angle. It's not like, oh, another Elvis movie it's like yeah. Marilyn Monroe yeah. you know now you want to see it what, what are you doing differently yeah uh, so that's what Boz Lerman did and but the the weakness was the Elvis character now here it's a strength because even though he is somewhat of, of a side character that this is Priscilla's story still you see him as a human with right. some serious some serious faults yeah and this is from her perspective and what she remembers and of course you start with the fact that their relationship is problematic yeah. uh, when he, he says at one of their first meetings that, what are you, a junior, senior in high school? And she's ninth grade. She was in ninth grade. And they met in West Germany because she was over there. Her stepfather was in the service and stationed there as well. And Elvis was in the service there. And that's how they first met. And then he just took this incredible interest in her. And then before you know it, she's living in Graceland. She moved in there. Still finishing high school. It's just. She went to high school there amazing to think yeah, about it, it is. in today and that's why you you sort of made me reset it because i've just always known that i yeah. just yeah they were together in 14 really weird um and they they do address that age difference in in the movie but i, I thought they could have addressed it a little a little deeper but maybe that's for today's standards it's funny that you say that because i think that it is the primary influence in the entire film none of this could have happened if she weren't a 14 year old girl you know, um, it's none of it could have mm. uh, because that's what he was looking for. He was looking for a doll. He was looking for, you know, a blank slate that looked like what he wanted for himself to turn, you know, to create the doll of his dreams. And you couldn't have done that with an adult. I guess what I mean is as, a, as someone questioning him at the time. Yeah. Now, her stepfather does say like what do you 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 could have any any woman what, what are you doing with it? Yeah. I guess I was looking to maybe a little more direct For, uh, to to him to his face from people not his hangers on but right. from, from somebody outside well, at the very least her parents yeah yeah it just seemed the fact that he and his cronies could talk them into letting her live them I mean yeah, it it's crazy. it's amazing yeah. but anyway uh the point is of the movie is not only letting you see her life there. And and Sofia Coppola, again, does a fantastic job. The production design is great. Oh, it's glorious. The time stamp Perfect. is great. Mm-hmm. Just so, so well done. And so are the soundtrack choices, yeah. which do not include a bunch of Elvis no. hits. No. Because that would be totally wrong. Yeah. It's, it, it's not his story, it's hers. You do hear a few notes of a certain song, and then you see a, a bit of a TV performance of a certain song, but it's 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 totally different, and it's not the, the actual Elvis recording, because I think she is careful to to portray, Sofia Coppola, I mean, to portray that Elvis as a, as a mythic figure yeah. that isn't really, 
isn't really real. No. Sort of how the performer right. as being a separate entity right. from her husband. Exactly. The one who was uh, always that's the Elvis that was always preventing her from getting the time with him that he always promised. Yeah. I'll be home soon. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm coming home and then everything's going to be fine. Uh, until such time as she finally could not stand it anymore mm-hmm. and had to take control of her own life. And that's, of course, the arc of this character mm-hmm. and, and what makes it so so fascinating because early on, of course, she's living what every girl of her age probably thought was a dream. Oh, sure. You've got everything you ever wanted, do you? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But I wonder about that because she was basically almost almost a prisoner in that house. Yeah. And, and certain ways that she was expected to behave. And then, of course, he took over everything about her from her hairstyle to... Her clothing to, choices. Yeah, and it's everything. A great, it's a great early scene. He's like, do you want to go shopping? And she's so excited. And then it's, it's kind of strange because he's sitting there in a couch... As she comes out with outfit after outfit after outfit, as as are all of his buddies. And they're all just super excited to see this 14-year-old girl come out in all these different outfits, which is weird. And then there's one that she likes and he doesn't. And then that's it. That's all there is to it. Mm. No. Because, again, he's he's dressing his doll. She yeah. it's She's just a thing for right. him to dress. It's fascinating and a really, really, I think, pivotal scene in the film. And, yeah. of course, because it's a couple are really well made. And it's and it's portrays how she was gaslighted and oh, manipulated yeah. and especially when you know certain ideas when you think about a, a an adult man and a teenage girl will immediately start thinking about the sexual nature of it and it was clear he had some weird ideas about sex weird well he was having sex with everybody else in the world so that's not what she was to him she wasn't a sex object to him yeah but and that's you know much to her dismay. <laughs> yeah, e- even after that, they got married, it was it was weird. And I've I've read a few books uh, about Elvis over the years, and there are certain certain um, more I- ideas about that that what drove that that I won't go into. But um, he had, and this movie backs it up. I mean, he had mommy issues clearly. Sure. Uh, uh, this this movie sort of brings up a god complex i mean he's, yeah. he's almost preaching at one scene he's almost having like holding church he is yeah and, and and all these weird ideas about how they they should act that are totally strong one minute and then blown out of the water by mm. usually by another man that he is intimidated yeah. by yeah um and th- and that of course fuels his uh, the way he interacts with women I think we're we're making it out to be like Elvis is vilified and the villain of this movie. That's really not the case. It's simply that for the first time that I can think of, he's a complete character. Mm-hmm. Like you get you get facets of a personality, and then you know the the way that that those facets impacted this our our lead. Yeah, yeah, and then you have to just remember that these are her recollections, yeah. and they're going to be different because, of course, at the time he had a very carefully controlled image mm-hmm. there was an image of Elvis and and this, these types of things weren't weren't going to get out but this was how she remembered it to be oh he's clearly a weirdo you don't clearly. have to know much about Elvis <laughs> to know he was clearly pretty, pretty much a weirdo but still it's it, it it's still very clear that even when they got divorced she still cared deeply for him mm-hmm. obviously they had a child together and I think that's interesting because we come from different sides of it but even from someone from your side yes. that doesn't want to see any more exactly. Elvis movies. <laughs> to have a just to get a good glimpse of my side, you say very often, you'll say, 
it would just be fascinating to see what would have happened if, you know, he, he got cleaned up and had like sort of that, you know, late career comeback that some artists have and I always say I can think of nothing less interesting on earth <laughs> nothing would bore me more than to find out what Elvis Presley would have been like if he got cleaned up yeah I couldn't be more bored of anybody unless maybe it's Marilyn Monroe uh, yeah because there was that that story that he was he was supposed to be he was very close to having the Chris Christopherson part in A Star Is Born and of course that is the movie that woke up Chris Christopherson to get clean, and could that have happened? Who, who knows? But yeah, I think certainly as a music fan, that is, at least for me, it's interesting to wonder about. But going back to this movie, it's just a, like you say, it's a it's a tired subject, but a, a new lens into it. Uh, yeah, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, it I is. really enjoyed it, and the performances are great We haven't even mentioned, board. haven't even mentioned the performances. Callie Spaney, mm-hmm. I think is how you pronounce it, plays Priscilla, and you, you've seen her in, uh, she's the, she's Dakota Johnson's sister in Bad Times at El Royale, mm-hmm. and then she was also in, she played uh, Ruth Ginsburg's daughter in On the Basis of mm-hmm, Sex, mm-hmm. and she does a fantastic job. Fantastic. I mean, taking Priscilla from a ninth grader mm-hmm. to a, still a young woman, but a woman who is just going to take control of her own life. You know, in the, in the early going, she's just so wide-eyed and worshipful mm-hmm. of this is Elvis. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does a great job. And then Jacob Alordi. From Euphoria, mm-hmm. which we don't watch, but apparently a big, very popular show. <laughs> he plays Elvis. You know, and that's a tough character, much in the same way that... Um, uh, who just, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, but I mean from the... Austin Butler. Uh, it's hard after all these years and all these impersonations to do him without seeming like you're doing yeah. a, an SNL skit or something. Yes. And uh, Butler was fantastic. And I think this guy does a good job, oh, too. Oh, I do, too. I agree. He might be, as you mentioned, he might be a little too tall and a little too skinny, skinny early on. But that's a lot but to still, ask. Yeah, it is. But he's got <laughs> he's got the voice down, again, without being comical about it. Mm-hmm. I think he does a, a fine job as well. And the uh, and the and the supporting cast uh, also strong. It looks great. It's, it is. It's a fascinating look inside a story that we've heard over and over again, at least a subject that we've seen over and over again. Uh, a new side and a worthy side to check out, and that is on the big screens starting this weekend. It's called Priscilla. Let's stay in theaters for a rom-com. Willa and Bill are ex-lovers that will see each other for the first time in years when they both find themselves snowed in in transit at an airport overnight. It's called What Happens Later. Have you ever wondered what if? This facility will power down to essential function only. Come on! Is that a thing? Oh, it's a thing. One question we should really be asking each other. I have a good life, but I never again let anybody that made me feel the way you do. If we could see our memories in advance, would we do anything different? Please don't ruin this. This is from co-writer, director, Meg Ryan. Yes. And who on earth better to own the romantic comedy than the queen? Reclaim it, I That's guess. That's right. Reclaim it. The queen of the romantic comedy. I thought, well, I think we both thought this was her directorial debut, but no. She directed a war drama called Ithaca a few years ago that we just totally missed. Yeah, we did. But this is a comedy. It is. And it's very clever. It's Leap Day. 
And these two have been rerouted completely separately, one from Austin, one from Boston, to this uh, to this airport. And they don't ever say directly where the airport is. They refer to it as wherever this is, where they've been rerouted. Well, that's part of the whole magical exactly. charm. But we don't know. No, exactly. And uh, and it is it's very clever the way it gets into that because you hear over the loudspeakers a lot of announcements that you're used to hearing in airports. But then there'll be a tiny little change, and it's all about connections and your connections and don't miss your connections you i am talking to you look <laughs> up right <Simpson>. now exactly <laughs> but it is it's clever and magical and um and and david duchovny stars with with ryan as her long lost love and he is a laugh riot he's he's the far more repressed of the two he's funny he is funny normally you know his his uh, delivery is very deadpan but he can be really funny dryly funny yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that this is, uh, it's not a laugh riot, and it's not absolutely ingenious, but it is, it's charming, it's inventive, and it's a great showcase for these two, you know, talents, these two veteran talents. One of the things I like the most is that he uh, he continually plugs his ears and winces because of the 90s covers. So covers, <laughs> yeah. like these easy listening, right. low, you know, covers right. of these like Sonic Pearl Jam songs, all these songs from when the two of them were we're young and, and vital, and it's it's quite funny the physical reaction he has to these cover songs. Well, and, he doesn't want to acknowledge that they're oldies now. That's the thing. These are Muzak songs. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, there's just a lot about it that's very you know very touching in that idea of like they are just accepting the fact that yeah. they're they've moved on. They're not the hot young generation anymore. They're old now, but it's. It's clever and fun, and, you know, I, I have the feeling that maybe some people will really love it because I hate romantic comedies, mm-hmm. but I was charmed by it. And this was also co-written by Meg Ryan. She co-wrote it with Stephen Dietz and Kirk Lynn. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, it is interesting to g- see her get back in the game, and uh, it's it's an ironic sort of project for her to take on. I, I don't know if that was a motivation for her. Like, let me get back in the rom-com game. But, yeah, considering that she was America's sweetheart there for a few years— uh, for, for the entire '90s, I think. <laughs> and the one thing, the one thing that we brought up, I think it was this morning on the on the TV gig. That the only thing it would have been hilarious if Tom Hanks would have been the airport voice. Yeah, that really would have been. And and uh, I and, wonder if that was even considered because that would have. Yeah, that, not only because he and Meg Ryan starred in a number of films yeah. together, but of course he did the Terminal, which is exactly, another one yeah. of those. I'm trapped in the airport. <laughs> the airport is magical. That really would have been a funny a funny yeah. touch. But uh, as it stands, enjoyable. Uh, even for people that hate rom-coms. Uh, <laughs> and that is in theaters now called What Happens Later. Let's go back to a biography. And this is another one. It's a Netflix film, but it's starting out in theaters this weekend. Activist Bayard Rustin faces racism and homophobia as he helps change the course of civil rights history by orchestrating the 1963 march on Washington. It's called Rustin. What they really want to destroy is all of us coming together and demanding this country change. I remember saying that this Rustin fella is a little crazy. Only later did I fully comprehend that the little didn't even come close. We intend to go there not by the thousands, but by the hundreds of thousands. Yes! We are committed to altering the trajectory of this country towards freedom. That's what's on the line. Nothing less. Lord, I hope and pray they come today. This from director George Wolfe. 
Um, no relation. George Seawolf. That's right. Uh, who directed um, Ma Rainey a couple years ago. Ma Rainey's ago. Black Bottom. Yeah. So great. Yeah, this one is scheduled to hit Netflix on the 17th, but is opening in select theaters uh, this weekend. And this is enjoyable as well. And mainly the calling card for this is Coleman Domingo. He's the lead. He plays Rustin. You've, even if you don't know his name, I'd almost guarantee you know his face. Oh, yeah. He has done some of the best supporting work, including in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but also in Candyland. Zola. Zola. Oh, my God. He's great in Zola. Yeah, he was the pimp in Zola. And... Candyman, not Candyland. Sorry. You said Candyland. I did. <laughs> Different movie. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's always just improved everything he's in. Yes. Uh, no matter how little screen time he has. Um, and he's great. He's the lead. I fully, I certainly hope he gets a lot of award season attention for this because he deserves it. And it's it's a great ensemble, man. You have some serious talent in this as it gets as it uh, introduces you to someone that you probably don't, unless you're a real history buff, probably don't know about and the work that he did, Bayard Rustin, in getting all these different groups together, some that had competing interests back in 1963 to organize this march. And as as the synopsis says, of course he was facing racism, but because of his lifestyle, he was fighting homophobia as well. And it's a great look at not only at one singular man, but just the overall notion of the unsung heroes yep. and the work that these people that may never be known mm-hmm. put in every day, whether it's just whether it's knocking on doors or making phone calls, just the grassroots type of... of of work that has to go into any sort of change or any sort mm-hmm. of cause. And, mm-hmm. of course, they pulled this off. The march was incredible. Landmark. Yeah. Landmark event. And uh, and he was a, a big part of it. And this movie, of course, does want you to know that. But also just on a bigger on a bigger scale, it's just about how these, how these day-to-day grassroots volunteers are to be saluted. But... Uh, George C. Wolfe, as he as he did with uh, Ma Rainey, it feels it feels almost like like a play, like a stage production. Mm-hmm. This one especially, it really buzzes like a musical. I mean, the way people are moving, yeah. it, it has a it has a it's alive. It's got a vitality to it, and it's not a musical. But at one point, he does start singing, uh-huh. and it just seems so. Yeah, I'm expecting it to boom. <laughs> let's go. We're gonna jump into a jump into a, a musical montage here or a number. And so that feels very fresh and energetic, and I think it will certainly help when it goes to streaming. I mean, it would be hard not to feel drawn to this movie. I think there is a downside to it, too, because with the big issues at work here, it it seems a little broad-brushed. Right. Like a like an overview. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if that invites further study about this, well, great. Mm-hmm. But as far as as this movie, I think it loses a little bit of little bit of maybe dramatic heft by not being any more, I guess, intimate than it is. So it's kind of trades one thing for another. Yeah, I do. I mean, I hate to just be the negative Nelly in this. I do have to say that for me, Chris Rock really stood out. I mean, this yeah. this cast, this ensemble is insanely talented. It really is. You've Rock got... solid top to bottom. And, and, and in light of all of that and compared to all, he does stand out. Yeah, you've got people like Glenn Turman and uh, Jeffrey Wright and CCH Pounder and Audra McDonald and then Amel Amin plays uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Chris Rock, uh, not, does, he's just not to that level. Yeah, he plays Roy Wilkins, and he has a decent amount of screen time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, especially um, in the 
up against all these veteran, veteran yeah. talents. Yeah. It comes off as a little, a little weak, a little out of place. But uh, all in all, I found it, I found it very enjoyable. Yes, uh, even as just a, a little, a little generalized, a little broad brushed. But hey, if it gets people to know this man and maybe do a little further study, definitely worthwhile. And Coleman Domingo, please, voters, remember him come awards time because yeah. he, he is just tremendous in this film and it's rustin it's in select theaters now will be on netflix in two weeks let's stay with netflix and stay with a biography tells the remarkable true story of athlete diana nyad who at the age of 60 with the help of her best friend and coach commits to achieving her lifelong dream a 110 mile open ocean swim from cuba to florida this is nyad imagine knowing you could do something that no one else could do I think we have a window. Diana Nyad is back. I know the world wants me to shut my mouth and sit down and wait to die, but I can't. You are a force. Diana, you got this! There's no one more Nyad than you. So this one is on Netflix now, and it's one that reminds you, you know, movie biographies, we've seen so many different examples of how they can just be so formulaic and cliched in telling somebody's story. And it's nice to see a different approach. And the directors here are Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vassarheli, and I hope I pronounced that right. And they are mainly documentarians. They won for free solo. Right. And then they also did The Rescue. Mm -hmm. So this this story of incredible personal achievement, you can see where that's what they're interested right, in. Right, right. But this one, not a documentary. And they come to it by anchoring the story in this friendship, which I think was very smart. Oh, yeah. It helps that the friends are being played by uh, veteran talents like Annette Benning and Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, for me... She's the joy in this movie. I, I loved her performance. I, I loved seeing her in this kind of role. Um, and, you know, it's the kind of role, it's sort of the put-upon best friend, where it would be so easy for that performance to make the character feel like a victim. And I think Jodie Foster uh, did a really great job of showing that there there's a reason that people behave in the way that this particular best friend does. Yeah, I, I agree. They're both tremendous and if you don't know Diana Nyad, this will, and I knew her, but I didn't know her this way. I mean, they make her a fascinating character, and, you know, she's, she's still around, mm -hmm. so I'm sure she got a blessing with this. She, she's incredibly self-absorbed. <laughs> she's, she's proud and driven, and, and God bless her, but, man, she loves her some her. <laughs> and she's pig-headed about it, and, and her friend is there to call her out on yeah. it. And at one point, you know, Nyad says... I know I'm this way. <laughs> and she sort of relies on her friend Bonnie, played by Jodie Foster, to to help her. Now, this can become a very, you know, there are times when you just want Jodie Foster to scream. And finally, it does come to a head a little bit. Yeah. But you're almost pulling for Bonnie as much as you are for Naya yeah. to complete this mission. Right. Because, like... You have a life too. You're not like like Priscilla. It, you're right. not just in service to That's this woman right. who wants to make do this incredible achievement, and it is incredible. Don't it's want to da oh downplay that because she tried it when she was 28 years old, and and many people 
tried it over the many years, swimming from Cuba to Key West, couldn't do it. And then at 60, 61, she decides, I'm going to do it again. Yeah. I, I'm going to try again. I want to be the first. I have to. Yeah. I'm driven. She, she says she has a soul ignited by passion. Uh, <laughs> and so we see the training for that and the multiple attempts, because she tried it after the age of 60 multiple yeah. times. And all that time in the water really gives a, an organic opportunities to flash back yeah. and, and show more of her life instead of just that chronological order. Here's what happened. Yep. Yep. We see her in a time when it would be natural. Your mind wanders. You're in the water for hours and hours. And she's thinking back to pivotal parts in her life, some quite heartbreaking, some quite painful mm -hmm. that have made her who she is. And I think that's a good way to approach this story. I think so, too. And the other thing that I thought was very impressive is the way that, that the filmmakers do not belabor those flashbacks. They don't last longer than necessary. They yeah. last. They're a glimpse. Mm -hmm. They're a glimpse Agreed. into what turned her into this tremendous, you know, possessed athlete. Yeah, that is very true. But in the end, it's it's anchored in this Friendship. Mm -hmm. There are still some other things going around. There's a side plot about the the ship's captain that she gets to be on her team, played by Rice Iphens, and he's he's very specific about knowing the currents and the weather and the tides and when is the perfect chance to go into the water. Um, there's a side plot there about him, and then they also do use the uh, they weave in some archival footage mm -hmm. of the real Nyad. So, which on one hand that reinforces how hard this was to do mm -hmm. and what she was facing. But it adds to the the story elements, the narrative elements that they're juggling. And I think that hurts just, just a little right. bit. But very entertaining, though. I found it very entertaining, oh, sure. especially if you've never heard of Diana Nyad. And I found out a couple of things I didn't know. I didn't know she was on Dancing with the Stars. Nope. We don't watch Dancing with the Stars. No. But I didn't realize that she popped up on that a few mm -hmm. years ago. But uh, it's it's entertaining. And uh, if you don't know anything about her, you'll meet an interesting character. Yeah. And, of course, an incredible an incredible feat that she tried to pull off. And you can probably guess how it how it ended. But it's a it's very uh, inspiring in that way, especially for people that refuse to let their age dictate what they're going to do. Right. Uh, and we can we can respect that for darn sure. <laughs> and that is on Netflix now called Nyad. We move from Netflix to Apple TV. Anna and Ryan have found true love, and it's proven by a controversial new technology. There's just one problem, as Anna still isn't sure. Then she takes a position at a love testing institute and meets Amir. This is called Fingernails. I founded this institute to take the risk out of love. No more uncertainty, no more wondering if you've chosen the right partner, no more divorce. We were the first to build the machines to conduct the test to make the bond of love stronger. I really want to learn how the exercises help you connect. Why are we doing this? I thought it'd be fun. It's just messy, that's all. I think it's normal to get into a bit of a routine. I think relationships should be worked on every day. Oh, oh sorry. sorry. I was wondering if it was possible that one person could be in love with two people at the same time. It's a biological impossibility. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I need to tell you something. All I ever knew, only you. I didn't know what this movie was about uh, the first time I saw a still from it, but the still is Jesse Buckley and Riz Ahmed, and immediately yes. I emailed 
can we get a screener for this? Because I love those two. Those they're so two, good. They're so good. They're so good in everything, well, both of them. He's won an Oscar, and yes. she's been nominated, nominated, and I think she'll win one eventually. Oh, yeah, eventually. Women talking. My God, she was great in that oh, movie. Oh, my God, so good. Also, I loved her in Men last year. She's very good at portraying this inner conflict of knowing you're supposed to do one thing and then also knowing you just have to do the other. And she she's she's one of those actors who can do it without having to tell you that's what's happening. Yeah. You see it on her face. And that's what happens in this. She knows via this test that she and her boyfriend are in love because they pass this test and and fewer than 25% of couples do pass this test. So you're really lucky if you pass this test. But she, you can tell she just wonders if it's true. And so she takes a job at the Institute, where they also offer classes that you and your mate can take before you take the test. And she just kind of secretly wants to sort of take the classes, like work with her because she's just so unsure. And so her, the uh, the counselor that she works under that she is shadowing is Amir, played by Riz Ahmed. And you can see where it's going from there right sure. away. Fingernails. Why is it called fingernails? Because the test requires... A fingernail, the whole thing, not a clipping, from one of each. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's it's torture, right? I mean, it's it's an interesting concept, and it's also a very interesting timestamp because the technology. I mean, it looks like something from War Games. Like that's how old the sort of computer everything looks uh, in in what they're doing. There's wall phones, all of that kind of thing. But at the same time, obviously, it is it is a future where mm. this has already happened and more or less caused what. Um, what they refer to as like the love crisis. Like it was, <laughs> they thought it was good technology, but it was such a catastrophe when people realized how few people passed the test that uh, people started having committing suicides because they never passed the test. So- well, if this synopsis reminds you of something that Yorgos Lanthimos would do, well, it was co-written and directed by Christos Naku, who's a protege of Lanthimos and did Apples a few years ago that I liked it, that that was also very... Yorgos Lanthimos reminiscent. This one, of course, makes me think of the lobster. The lobster, right yeah. Right away. It's a different look at, at love and mm-hmm. trying to deconstruct it where it really can't be deconstructed. But it's it's that sort of thing. But it's it's high concept. But when you get performers like this, that, that goes a long way. It really does because you do know where it's going in the end. And in a lot of ways, um, and it does, it, it is very reminiscent of the lobster. It's not nearly as cynical and it's a bit more streamlined and definitely more romantic than the lobster. But again, I think you're right. I think the reason that it works, and it does work, the reason that it works is because these two people are such tremendous performers and they really have a lovely chemistry on screen together. Man, I love The Lobster. I know. That was such a great movie. It, uh, yeah, it really was such a great movie. <laughs> and that is on uh, Apple TV now. A uh, recommendation for Fingernails. Let's go back to theaters. Uh, a crime mystery drama based on a book. A woman seeks revenge against the man who kidnapped her mother. This is The Marsh King's Daughter. Elena Erickson? What are you doing with my house? What's going on? Your father, Jacob Holbrook. When was the last time you spoke to him? When I was 10 years old. I'm confused. I thought your parents died in a car accident. That's what I told you. Now I realized a person I believed in the most was really a monster. This means we're family. It means owned, not family. Don't confuse the two. What's going on, Helena? I feel like he's here. Miracles! Has that been in your room the whole time? Mm-hmm. 
You must always protect your family. Helena, it's me. This is where we belong. I waited my whole life to see you again. I wasn't sure what I would feel when I did. We can still all be a family. But that synopsis is bad. They, they frequently are. I'm, I'm reading these, if you didn't know, right from IMDb. And a lot of times I'll just stop and go, what? And then I have to go back and edit this podcast because it just needs to be reworded. So maybe maybe we'll look elsewhere. I mean, IMDb is great about yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. Synopsis, not so much. Yeah. So this is actually about, uh, about a woman who grew up believing her father. Um, that, you know, and, and it turns out that her father had kidnapped her mother and was keeping them in this very, very remote part of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan woods. And, uh, and the UP. The UP. And so she always, the, as a little girl, she, she, he called her uh, Little Shadow because she always wanted to follow him around. And he taught her how to track and how to know where she was based on just sounds and, you know, how to really live off the land. And she never understood as a child, played by Brooklyn Prince, by the way. From the Florida Project, yeah. Why her mother was so dour unhappy all the time. And that's, of course, why she always wanted to spend time with her dad because he wasn't dour and unhappy. And then she figures it out this one day when, a tr- like, uh, out of nowhere, some camper is like, I'm lost. And, and then they're rescued. But as a child... She wants very much not to be rescued. And then flash forward, you know, 20 years, and it's Daisy Ridley who is playing um, who is playing the woman who has still spent a whole life trying to come to terms with the idea that this man, who she loved more than anyone on earth, who loved her back, who raised her, is in fact a monster. Um, and all of that is really good. I think that the, the tone, the sort of atmosphere that the filmmakers develop is it's spooky and it's beautiful. I think it's it really hits the nail on the head. I think the movie in the second act takes a little bit of a dive as it bends toward the predictable sort of, you know, clearly he's going to break out of prison. Clearly he's going to be a threat to her family. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that and then and then also the the minor characters are are very superficially drawn, very superficially drawn. But then in act 3 when they're back in the woods and it's just uh, Daisy Ridley and Ben Mendelsohn, yeah. the great Ben yeah. Mendelsohn, plays the father, and he's great as he always is. It, it really regains the momentum and atmosphere of the of the early part of the film. This is not a masterpiece, and it is just like fingernails. It is one of those movies that really is elevated by the performers. And um and the three core right Brooklyn Prince, Ben Mendelsohn, and Daisy Ridley, they're great in this movie. And the director is Neil Berger, and uh, this one we could tell from the reaction when we posted your written review. A lot of people like this book. Yeah. A lot of people are looking forward to this. So we didn't read the book, no. but uh, hopefully they will find some satisfaction in the story because, uh, yeah, the, the performers always help bring it and draw those characters. And it's, it, you know, just from the, from getting the official, the real synopsis, it certainly uh, sounds intriguing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> make up your own, I guess. And that is the Marsh King's Daughter in theaters. Well, let's go to Shudder. A group of cold case investigators stay at the Carmichael Manor. After four nights, the group was never heard from again. What is discovered on their footage is even more disturbing than anything found on the Hell House tapes. This is Hell House LLC Origins, the Carmichael Manor. The Carmichael Manor. Where to begin? Arthur and Patrick Carmichael have been missing for the last 30 years. We are about 30 minutes from our new home... The Carmichael Manor. You're staying in the Carmichael? We're staying inside. I don't want to wait here another second. We will leave before it is dark, I promise. 
this is the fourth film in the Hell House LLC uh, found footage series. And it started off in 2015 with a very, very creepy uh, found footage film, right, about this hotel that somebody was turning into a seasonal haunt. And it was, of course, in fact, haunted. And it was um, it was a spooky movie that people enjoyed. And and then each se- each sequel is sort of less and less effective. Till this one, we're not even at the hotel anymore. We're at sort of a neighboring property. And um and it's again it's found footage and it's these uh, investigators and they decide that they're going to stay there overnight. And the biggest problem with this movie is that it doesn't sort of build tension to a crescendo. You know, um, all they need to do is stay long enough to prove that it's haunted, which they do on film within about a half an hour. <laughs> but so and the, the two biggest problems with haunted house movies, the biggest problem with haunted house movies is why aren't you leaving? And the biggest problem with found footage movies is why don't you put the camera down? Yeah. So, again, as soon as you have seen a ghost within the first half hour, both of those issues are problematic. It's like, okay, well, you don't need to be carrying it anymore because you've already proved it, and you don't need to be here anymore because you've already proved it. And um, and so then you'll go for this long stretch of, not a lot happening, but I don't know why they're here, and then boom, something happens, and then another long stretch, and you're like, again, why hasn't anyone left? And and the way that the film just refuses to build tension, but instead it just punctuates the thing, the, the, the whole sort of course of the, of the, of the film with a sighting here, a sighting there, a sighting there. It it never gets you, you know, and you can't help but go, would you just leave? (laughs) Um, And so, you know, yeah, I feel like it's, it's not like it's terrible, but it certainly isn't good. Yeah. Those are, you make a good point. Those are two inherent problems with stories when you're going to have a found footage movie or a haunted house right. movie. Those are those are very inherent problems that are tough to get around. And that is on Shutter Now, Hell House, LLC Origins. And we'll go back to theaters for one more. This follows a teenage graffiti artist who ran away from home and holds up an unwary MTA worker in a robbery gone right that would change their lives forever. Now, before you go doing anything stupid with that money, Ask yourself, how much of your problems your fault? What kind of right are you? The streets tell you what you are. I don't know how I'm ever repay you. Let's focus on you showing that school what you made of. So they say they want to see my perspective. But uh, I don't know if it was meant for life outside the Bronx. No one's going to save you, Kadir. So I need you to choose. Choose what? Not to die. What do you see? This is writer-director Aristotle Torres, and it was reviewed for us at madwolf.com by Christy Robb. And one of the things, one of the first things that jumped out of me is a big part for favorite Luis Guzman. Yes. We do love Luis Guzman, and he's great in this movie as what would be the victim of the crime. And uh, Chrissy described him as like the chillest drunk guardian angel (laughs) that you're ever going to find. And the thing is that the film, you know, it um, there's a lot about it that seems very uh, familiar and a little bit predictable. But at the same time, both performances, Guzman and also Asante Black, who plays the lead, they are actually, as Christy said, Asante Black is a gift. 
that the two of them um, mine some somewhat familiar uh, material for real human interaction yeah. and something quite beautiful and understated at the same time. Yeah, because he's uh, Luis sees some talent a- as an artist, and the young man is is really not a a criminal. He's having to to do this sort of as a as a testing, as a right. prove himself mm-hmm. by going out and getting some money and committing a robbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got a, a future as an artist ahead of him. So, yeah, covers predictable ground. But, again, if you can get great performances, that always elevate. Yeah. Always elevate the material. And, you and can... it's a first film from the from the writer-director. Yeah. And so there's clearly a lot of promise there as well. Exactly. So you can see Christie's full review at madwolf.com. That is Story Avenue in theaters now. And with that, hey, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Time to check back in with the Schlocketeer, a.k.a. Daniel Baldwin, for the latest studio news. What's shaking? Well, for anyone who's not subscribed to Paramount Plus and wants to see William Friedkin's final film, The King Mutiny Court Martial, it is now available for rent and purchase on VOD. Okay. So, don't have to be a subscriber anymore. Good. Onyx, The Fortuitous, and The Talisman of Souls will be available to stream on Screenbox starting November 14th. And there's a new Melissa McCarthy Peacock exclusive holiday rom-com called Genie that's premiering on November 22nd. Uh, for a darker turn, Paul Schrader's Master Gardener will be streaming on Hulu starting November 23rd. Yeah, that is a that's a tad darker. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. A little bit. <laughs> and then back on the lighter end, the John Cena action comedy Freelance will already be hitting VOD on November 28th. And that just came out this past week, I believe. Yeah, I did. And now on to the delays. <laughs> the first one's small. Um, Warner Brothers has slightly pushed back the release of Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom. It'll now open in theaters two days later on uh, December 22nd. I'm assuming that's just to give Wonka a bit more of a full final week before Aquaman arrives. Oh, I see. Okay. And then they have, uh, Warner Brothers has also retitled and postponed Barry Levinson's new um, De Niro starring mob movie. It was previously titled Wise Guys. It will now be called Out of Nights. And instead of hitting theaters this spring, it won't arrive before our eyes until November of next year. So it sounds like they're positioning that for a bit of a awards run in 2024. It'll be what, what, what nights? Alto. A-L-T-O. Okay. I think maybe Wise Guys would have been the better title, but hey, I'm not a studio executive. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, now for the bigger ones. Paramount has delayed the release of Mission Impossible 8 from June of next year to May of 2025. Mm. That's not too much of a surprise given that um, by their own accounts, they still have at least 40% of the movie left to shoot, including one or two big action sequences. Uh, that's a lot. Yeah. As a result, they've uh, also postponed the release of their prequel, A Quiet Place, Day One, from its um, March date next year to the June 28th date that uh, Mission Impossible did have previously. Oh, okay. So that one's getting a more of a prime release date as a result. Sure. So at least that's a show of confidence. And then on the Disney front, um, due to the recent controversy surrounding um, the actor, Disney has pulled their Jonathan Majors starring sports drama Magazine Dreams from its December date this year. It does not have a new date yet at this time. That's, you know, before the, the scandal broke, that was getting some great early notices. Yeah, it was. Um, I can't remember if it was out of Sundance or South by Southwest, but it was one of the bigger um, yeah. one of the bigger festivals. And yeah, I believe it's a bodybuilder drama. So I, I think so. A bit of a different yeah. one. 
And they've all Disney has also pushed back two of their 2024 tent poles. Um, the first one is the live action remake of Snow White. They pushed it back an entire year to March 2025. And then there's Pixar's Elio, which had been slated for March of this coming year, but now won't come out until June 2025. Big shift. Big shift. That's all I've got for you this week. All right. We can always catch up with Daniel on the socials for the latest news and notes. You can find him at The Schlocketeer. Have a great week. Hey, you too. Okay, looking ahead to next week, a couple of big ones coming. Marvels is finally out. The Holdovers. Also, It's a Wonderful Knife. Mr. Organ. Uh, one called You Were My First Boyfriend. Love Virtually. Also, here's a title for you. Onyx, The Fortuitous, and The Talisman of Souls. Ghosts of the Void. Also, Jezebel. And Cher. There's a there's a question mark, so I feel like I have to say it that way. Okay. Share? Share. Not share as in Sunny and. No. It's share? Mm-hmm. You want to share? <laughs> okay, so we'll find out. That's all next week. But this week, what do you think about Priscilla or what happens later? The Netflix choices, Rustin Nyad, a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, let us know. We always love to keep the conversation going. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. That's easy, at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcasts called called Fright Club. That's always there at madwolf.com. So have a great start to the holiday season. Keep in touch. Enjoy the movies. And uh, we'll talk next week. Until then, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>